Hello again. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Brattlecast, uh, presented by the Brattle Bookshop in Boston. A historic landmark and an absolute icon, and you have to visit when you come to the city on West Street. And of course, visit BrattleBookshop.com for much more. We tell you stories about books, old, rare, and out of print. And today's stories with Ken Gloss, the proprietor of the Brattle Bookshop, are going to blow your mind because they have to do with the bard like you've never seen him before. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because in, in my, a lot of my Brattle casts, I ask people if they have ideas or suggestions or questions. And some fit well into doing a Brattle cast. Some of them I answer independently because they don't quite do it. Mm. But uh, recently... A first edition of the Shakespeare Folio came up at auction, sold for over $10 million. So, again, if you have a few extra millions that you all set with, you can buy a first edition of Shakespeare. But he also, they, they came out after he had died, and, uh, and they were collected together by other people. And fortunately, they did collect his individual poems together. Otherwise, nobody might know who Shakespeare was. So you're— here in my studio, we're together, of course, now these days, which is great. Describe what's in front of you, because this blew my mind. I've, I've seen uh, original Bibles, and I'm not as kind of odd as I am with what you're about to show me. Well, I actually might talk about those in, uh, in, within this. Okay. Uh, there were four editions in the 1600s of Shakespeare that came out. Uh, the, and they were called folios because they were larger books. Mm-hmm. In 1623, 32, 63, and 85. So they're called the first four folios. And those are the, sort of the earliest editions of Shakespeare. Like I said, the first edition of the first folio uh, or the, uh, came out and has recently sold for $10 million. Now, you, if you don't have quite that much money, you can go into the 1680s, get the fourth folio, and only maybe spend a couple of— Hundred thousand, a quarter of a million, or so, whatever. That's a deal. But Bargain. what this is, this was done by a fancy press in the 1930s. Now there still was a lot of people, even during the Depression, there were a lot of people collecting books, collecting fancy right. editions. Book collecting was still a big thing, mm-hmm. and this was in, done in uh, California by the Grabhorn Press, which was a fancy press. They put out an essay called The Original Leaves from the First Four Folios of the Mm. Plays of William Shakespeare. And they beautifully printed, beautiful editions. And what they did was they found, obviously, somewhat defective copies of the folios. And in other words, either they were damaged or pages were missing or whatever. So they got together and they took a page from each of the first four editions. This is page number 237 from All's Well That Ends Uh. Well. Uh, And that's from the 1623 edition. Uh, Then from the 1632, you have The Life of Henry I. Mm -hmm. Uh, From the 1663 edition, The Tragedy of King Lear. And in the... uh, 1685 edition, it's in here, you have As You Like It. So a page from each. And this was an edition that was printed in 73 copies of the edition because they had to have 73 leaves 
from the first, from the second, from the third, the fourth. They wrote a nice introductory essay. Yeah, so it's it's presented in its own book, but those leaves are the real deal. These those are the, original are the actual leaves. leaves. So let me ask you this. First of all, the quality is amazing, and this is from 1935, mm-hmm. this particular pressing. Quality of the original leaves is amazing. We've talked about the 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 paper that was used back in the olden days that really stood up well, much of it. Well, it stood up well, first of all, it was expensive. Mm. And books back in the 1600s were not the things that the common person on the street working the average job that the average person would get in, well, this would have been in London uh, or in England. Mm. They couldn't afford books. Most of them, quite honestly, couldn't read. afford to go to school to read. <laughs> right. uh, so, and even when you got into relatively well-off merchants, relatively well-off, they might have a few books, many times a Bible in the house, but most of them were just getting by and couldn't afford books. It was really the nobility, the upper class, who could afford, first of all, to have a place that could hold books, and second of all, could afford to buy, keep, and uh, have them. So Shakespeare uh, is writing his works, and they are being published in these folio presentations, and would you say the upper class and the royalty would be the ones reading them? They would be the ones buying. Now, again, these weren't published. The folios weren't published during his lifetime. They were gathered this is together post afterwards. Posthumously. There are a few editions of his plays that were printed and published in the late 15s and so on, hundreds. But the idea of getting Shakespeare out wasn't for people to read it. They were plays. Exactly. They were very popular plays. The average person, for a relatively a small amount of money, could go to the theater. The Globe Theater, of course, there's reproductions of it, a reproduction mm. in London. But they would go to theaters and on the street and for pennies would be able to hear the plays. And, of course, also a lot of it was written in the language and to the knowledge of people in that period. So a lot of modern people read Shakespeare and they go, they don't understand the well, language, yeah, they yeah. don't understand the history may behind I, May it. I just take a of quick course. peek? I have a question about the the alphabet used because, as we know, the Brit- the English alphabet, some of the, uh, yeah, for instance, the the letter F, is it, look, it looks like an F. It's actually an S. Well, well there was I'm a thinking, whole— right? yeah, There was a whole grammatical way of using F and S's. Right. And— if you stop and think about it, and I actually realized that the sound of F and S is very similar. It is, of course. And, and matter of fact, my last name is Gloss. On the phone, if, a, if I'm talking to somebody who's not an English speaker to begin with, a lot of times they'll spell as a G-L-O-F-F. It sounds like gloff, yeah. gloss, and yeah. and so there were whole grammatical rules of where you used f, where you used s. Uh, yeah, but, for instance, I'm looking at the the folio page from King Lear, and King Lear says, "What art mad? A man may fee, which it looks like fee. It's see how this wood world goes with no eyes, and the eyes has an S, a traditional S at the end that we're familiar yeah, with. It's were, just interesting to, to look at the, the language. The grammatical rules of it. Yeah. And, and so 
but Shakespeare is one of the icons, obviously, of, of the course. English language. Of you know, if you start, sometimes I've looked at uh, of people who are saying, you know, you get who's the greatest of the year, who's the greatest of the century, who's the greatest in English, and you start getting people like Isaac Newton, Shakespeare. Uh, you know, people of that stature, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, you know, there's a whole other class, and Shakespeare is mm. one of them. If you want to own early and original editions of Shakespeare, even to own a book like this, in a book like this, it's limited to 73 copies, which is really mm. limited. It's in really good co- condition. But you're owning an original from Shakespeare, but you're still talking in the six, ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 range own this book. Now, it sounds like a lot of money, and it is a lot of money, no question about it, but who can afford $10 million? This is number 46. I'm just looking at the page yeah. from the Grabhorn Press, and it says, has printed 73 copies of this edition, comprising eight on vellum and 65 on Watman paper? Yeah. Uh, basically, they a lot of times when they're putting out limited editions like this, vellum is much, much more difficult to print on, but it also comes out with a, a different texture, mm-hmm. a different contrast, but it's considered sort of a much superior uh, way to print, except it's incredibly expensive and difficult. Mm. So where if you had this and you might be paying, let's say, six to $10,000 for this on the paper, the vellum copy might be five or 10 times as much. Mm. And when you were buying it originally, it was five or 10 or 20 times as much. So it gave the publisher a way of saying, well, you want to get the really, really special copy if they were trying to sell it to somebody. Well, okay, but we have this one and you can pay X amount more, but you have one of the very, very special ones. And I'm sure the profit margin was even a little bit better on those. In a way, many times these were uh, sold ahead of time a lot of this, it was done by subscription. In other words, someone from that grab horn press in the 30s would, before they even put this out, would say, look, we're going to be putting this they, out. They knew they had the, the buyers. They, they wanted the buy- Well, they also wanted the financing sure. for doing the printing. Right. So uh, the, a lot of this was done pre-done. Now, there are other books of this type. Uh, I recently had a copy, and you mentioned Bibles at the beginning, uh, a bookstore in Boston called Goodspeeds mm. put out a limited edition of 87 of the first Bible printed in America, which was in the Algonquin language. Yeah, we, six- we did that recently yeah. on a different podcast. I right. remember that was pretty awesome. So, you know, there you go. Yeah. There's one. Another one that you really want, and I've actually had one or two copies. They, there was one put out around the same time as this in the early 1900s called A Noble Leaf. And it was printed with a page, an essay by a famous book collector, but it was a page from the Gutenberg Bible, Uh the first printed book in the 1400s. And this was with an original page from the Gutenberg Bible. Now, up until recently when I give talks, I always say a single original page of the Gutenberg Bible. First of all, a Gutenberg Bible, if it came up for auction or came up for sale now, could easily sell 25, 50, maybe even $100 million. Mm. And you were asking me about Jeopardy. And uh, I was actually, I got a call once out of the blue. And this was maybe 
15 years ago. Someone asked me, they said, well, we're doing a story. What would an original edition of the Gutenberg Bible, if someone had it, uh, what would it sell for? I said at the time, probably $25, $30 million. And that was it. I never heard anything else. And then I'm at home one day watching Jeopardy. Ken Gloss of what book did Ken Gloss of Antiques Roadshow <laughs> say uh, would be worth twenty five or thirty million dollars? Now the answer was the Gutenberg Bible. What, what is the Gutenberg Bible? I, I literally almost fell off my chair because I had no clue whatsoever. One of the things I'm really fortunate, a friend of ours saw that and he took a screenshot of the television oh, that's so I actually priceless. have and then then uh, as a birthday present once one person actually made a t-shirt just for <laughs> me uh, and I was a question on jeopardy you don't get that every day from from people yeah, but getting back to the original uh, the uh, I always in my talk say you know in one page of the Gutenberg Bible would sell for 50 to a hundred thousand dollars. That's been revised now. There was recently uh, in Texas, a, one came up for auction uh, probably about three weeks, a month ago, sold for $167,000. Impressive. So there are books like that that are what they call leaf books yeah. where you get one page from an early printed book, one page yeah. of a Gutenberg Bible, one or four pages of Shakespeare. And that was actually a popular way of collecting that you could get one page, one leaf, and that way you could own part of the original, especially if you couldn't afford to own the whole original. Here's a question that's related to the subject, and I can't think of a better person to ask his opinion. Did William Shakespeare write those plays, in your opinion? I think he did, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think he really did. If somebody else wrote them, it wouldn't have stayed a secret for <laughs> years and years and years. Yeah. There are too many people... He, his plays were popular in his lifetime. Yeah. There were too many people who would have known that he wasn't writing them. Uh, I'll tell you another thing that's almost impossible to get is there are almost no signatures of Shakespeare. Mm. There are a few in documents, sort of government documents, but a, a, a signature of Shakespeare would sell for hundreds of thousands, if not millions mm. of dollars. He, was re he, wasn't, he, wasn't, he was doing it for the public. Uh, writing, I mean, how many people would love to go back to that time and say, hey, William, what are you writing? Why are you writing it? But there isn't a lot right. about that. Well, I'm glad you uh, you presented that opinion. I happen to agree. I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm waiting for the Wayback Machine when I can go back. And, <laughs> and there's a whole lot of characters I'd like Sherman to see. Sherman and Peabody, where are they when e you really need them? Exactly. Well, thank you, Ken. This was fascinating. I got to uh, experience this in the studio. You can experience much more. Visit brattlebookshop.com and uh, connect with Ken and the team. And uh, just never a, uh, an end to the mystery and the suspense and the excitement of, of what's behind those books. And, and if there are stories. any questions that you have out there or suggestions, I don't use them all, but I will respond to them. And every once in a while, one fits perfectly in one. And one every once in a while, I go, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> well, you can't think of everything, Mr. <laughs> Jeopardy. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time on the Brattlecast.